0: Building on our first ever episode, we will be exploring Washington's six principles, one of which is patriotism. We will explore how patriotism is one of America's greatest blessings and the most unifying feeling, institution, and spirit amongst all citizens of a country. Let's get into it. Patriotism, faith, national unity, education, Fiscal responsibility, civility, the values that define America. Fascinating stories and talks from America-loving patriots dedicated to preserving freedom, opportunity, and justice. Welcome to the Friends and Fellow Citizens Podcast. And welcome to the third episode of Friends and Fellow Citizens. I'm your host, Sherman Taloski. Thank you so much for joining me today. I've got a great episode here to share with you. If you like this episode and this podcast, please make sure you subscribe and share with your friends and family. So today we are going to be talking about the first principle that I've chosen to discuss with all of you. And I think this is something that is going to be so incredibly valuable. I think throughout every single one of our episodes, we're going to be touching upon at least one and most likely multiple of these principles that I've outlined, which are patriotism, faith, national unity, fiscal responsibility, education, and civility. Those six, all right? And today we're going to be talking about patriotism. And i like to start off by reading a quote from Washington's Farewell Address, which of course is the source of the namesake of this show. It reads here, The name of American, which belongs to you in your national capacity, must always exalt the just pride of patriotism more than any appellation derived from local discriminations. A quote that I really enjoy because it really goes to show that even in the early days of this country, there was always that push to unite people from all different backgrounds to become, under one country, Americans. Now, of course, that process did take, of course, much longer, but I think that progress that we have made and that American spirit that previous generations have shown, I think, demonstrates the ability for this country to build on its successes and solve its failures over time. So let's look at the origin of the word patriotism. And when you look at the late Latin of patriotism, the word comes from patriota, which means countryman. But if you look at the classical Latin, there's another word I I recalled after doing uh, some of the lessons back in middle school, and the classical Latin word for that is patria. Patria means fatherland in classical Latin, and pater, P-A-T-E-R, meaning father, is also a bit of a branch or a bit of an, an origin for patriota, for patria, and ultimately for patriotism. But before we move on a little bit into what patriotism is, as well as how it's practiced in the United States, at least, certainly in other countries, there are some relatable activities and lifestyles that people adopt as well, I want to contrast that with a few terms that I think are either not used in popular senses or just simply confused with patriotism. And the three words that I want to briefly touch upon, and this is all on Merriam Webster, of course. I do not write dictionaries, will never write one in my in life. But the first one is jingoism. Uh, I want to contrast patriotism with jingoism first, because when you look at jingoism, it actually is an incredibly dangerous word to use. Dangerous in the sense that when it's put into practice, it really means something that I think patriotism doesn't reflect. Jingoism, by definition, on Mer- Merriam-Webster, is quote extreme chauvinism or nationalism marked especially by a belligerent foreign policy. No belligerent foreign policy here. Jingoism is essentially just as it was kind of stated here. Oh, is confrontational. It means that in a sense. It's not like nation states can all have their own patriotic people who support the country or for the interests and all that. Jingoism, unfortunately, does not meet that standard of patriotism because jingoism essentially provokes some kind of clash and no reconciliation. And unfortunately, things like jingoism have, of course, provoked major conflicts that unfortunately cost people's lives. So let's make sure that we all get jingoism right in the sense that this is definitely not what patriotism is about. Now let's look at chauvinism. The definition here is a lot shorter for this word, according to Merriam-Webster. It says, quote, excessive or blind patriotism, unquote. That I think is a very nice, simple way of putting jingoism and chauvinism together, because uh, an excessive and blind patriotism really isn't healthy for a population. When people don't understand why people choose to be patriotic, even people who choose not to be patriotic, that's something we have to consider as well. Or people who might not understand why people in other countries feel patriotic, when there's this level of ignorance and level of misunderstanding, that becomes very unhealthy. And you get international conflicts, you get conflicts between those who are patriotic with people who are loyal to the country but who do not impose it on others, and of course those who are the chauvinists, you have divisions there. There's a lot of risky divisions that can go on because of chauvinism and jingoism. So that's chauvinism there. And then I want to look at something that I think is a bit more mainstream and something that I think is a bit more controversial, which is nationalism. And nationalism here, according to this definition, also from Merriam-Webster, essentially says loyalty and devotion to a nation. Uh, But it, it continues and says, especially a sense of national consciousness, exalting one nation above all others and placing primary emphasis on promotion of its culture and interests as opposed to those of other nations or supranational groups. Now, this, I think, is... Interesting, And I want to go maybe go deeper into this in a later episode. I'm not going to take too much time today, but I think what's a bit tricky about nationalism is that when we say that someone is putting emphasis on uh, promotion of a particular nation-state's culture and interests, that doesn't necessarily mean that that person is you know, disliking or hating another country— Part of it, I think, is also that people have particular loyalties, particular obligations. For example, if you serve as a public servant, you serve for whatever country. If you're a United States public servant, you serve for the interests of the United States government. Oftentimes, even you have to serve even if you disagree with the president or with Congress or whatever – and this is, I think, very different uh, as opposed to maybe another def- definition of nationalism, which is kind of the chauvinist, jingoist kind of side of, of people who believe that uh, one nation should always be put above else, anyone who disagrees with them is a terrible person. That, that is not what patriotism is about. And I think with regards to nationalism, I think we have to give some respect to nationalism in this word because of the word Nation kind of implies near nation-state, and I believe that in this world we do uh, have a world built on nation-states. Whether or not people like the particular histories or whether people uh, uh, connect with a particular country or not, every single country is built on different histories and different cultures and different languages and all that, and that's not to say that we can't respect uh, other countries. It's just the nature of being in very tribal groups. As a tribal uh, species, we are oftentimes, if not al- almost all the time, tied to our tribes and our tribal groups and our associations with these groups. So now that we have three words that we are essentially tossing out for the purposes of understanding what patriotism really is, let's look at the definition that Mary webster gives for patriotism. It says, "'Love for or devotion to one's country.'" Now, I think that in itself makes patriotism, as well as the origins I just talked about earlier about fatherland, about that connection, and like a family, you know, like a a selfish love with your land and your people and your culture and your ideals. That, I think, is what patriotism is all about, and I think that's what makes patriotism so special and something that we have to prize. And I think it's understandable why Washington chose this as one of his principles. Now he might not have kind of put in stone and said, "Well, this is the, the this is the first principle. This is the only principle." Of course, I have chosen the principles for you to as kind of as a better guide to look at what the founders were talking about uh, with respect to devotion of one's country. But I do think that throughout Washington's writings, he does uh, talk about w- why patriotism is important and, and how it should be respected and treated. And as we go along a bit deeper into this episode, we will learn about how patriotism is very much more than just a definition, way more than just a, a term that's being thrown around. Certain, certainly people even uh, accuse each other of not being patriotic. That's a whole other topic in itself. But I think it's important to get some of these definitions out of the way before we get into uh, some of the key points that I think are going to be really critical. Remember that this episode, as well as uh, the other five episodes I'm going to be covering, which each of them them is dedicated to one specific pillar, one specific principle from George Washington, remember that all these principles are interconnected, right? And, and And this connection is going to Build on as we kind of continue to go along and we learn and we get some different perspectives. But we also, but we really have to have that solid foundation, I think. Um, and I think patriotism is a really great stepping stone, especially since it really binds a lot of people together. And it shows that even within this one term, you can have multiple camps of people, but camps of people who I think do it because they love and not to. Uh, to impose or to control or to uh, to p- create more animosities with. I think that is when you get into the territory of those other definitions I just mentioned and talked about briefly. And I want to now move on a bit more into some of the key points here, um, and these are not exhaustive. I think throughout this episode, we're going to be learning, and throughout the series, excuse me, the throughout the show, we're going to be learning different sides of patriotism. We're going to be learning about different players, learning about uh, how people are essentially uh, maybe making the definition better than it was before. And uh, the first point I really want to put out there is patriotism is a lifestyle and institution. Now, why do I say that? Because I think when people use that term, it's of course a very political term in the sense that when you go into public service, when you participate in civics, it obviously is important to uh, for for people to understand where your interests lie, right? And, and in terms of what you want coming out from the administration or what you wanted to see, maybe as a society as a whole. But patriotism is a lifestyle because what people do every day, whether it's uh, working at a job or going to school or interacting with friends and all that, there is an element, I think, when people are patriotic and they display their way of giving back to the country, but they don't do it in an active way. It's not like someone, for example, uh, works at a a tech company, a software company, because they're doing it necessarily directly for the country. It's not really like that. It's more of the sense of people participate in this system, in this network of of doing uh, whatever it is people want to do every day And whenever these topics come to mind when it comes to serving others, when it comes to making our societies and our communities better, there's always uh, these unintended consequences, unintended benefits that I think are resonating through people, and uh, they express their uh, their patriotism, they express their love for this country— uh, in ways, in democratic ways, like, for example, voting or campaigning and all that. But then everything else, I think, uh, kind of ties into that, which is that part of patriotism is understanding other people's lifestyles, understanding that we all play an important role. I don't. I personally do not believe that in a patriotic society, um, everyone kind of just says, well, my job's more important than yours, or my lifestyle is better than yours. It's all about Understanding that everyone can achieve to the best of their ability, with all the opportunities, with all the uh, chances that life throws you. And I think this all starts with the very first few words, a few sentences of the Declaration of Independence. It reads, quote, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. That they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, unquote. This was, of course, a very revolutionary idea at the time. Uh, When you look at the circumstances of the American Revolution and you look at how uh, some other countries out there, uh, predominantly European ones and, of course, other ones, not just at the time, but really throughout history— never really put that into practice as an institution, as a system. Now, you can look at, of course, philosophers like uh, the English philosopher John Locke, who uh, talked about how uh, individual liberty is really the, the real liberty, the real freedom. When people are able to make their own decisions and be able to pursue whatever it is they want to pursue in life, that's when you have a free society, and I think that is very, very powerful here, and I think it's very much shown uh, in this text here. I believe originally uh, the, the signers were going to put uh, life, liberty, and property, but I think pursuit of happiness sounds pretty amazing. So I'm really glad that the signers put that there, and it really is a pursuit of happiness, right, because happiness, I think, and it should be broad enough, in the sense that people should be able to pursue what they want to pursue, but of course, people cannot infringe or violate other people's uh, pursuits of happiness. And that, of course, goes in much into greater detail about what people can and can't do, and of course, the Bill of Rights and the Constitution add on to that, add on to some of those constraints. It's very interesting how, in society, you need to have constraints to have freedom. Uh, it's, a, it's a bit of an oxymoronic kind of idea, but when I think we think about what people can do, what people's desires are, and how far people can go with them, whether it's pursuing money or pursuing uh, fame or or whatnot, uh, there are people who really go too far. And I think that recognition that within human nature, there's that particular feeling where people can go too far and you need some kind of societal constraint in order for others to be able to pursue whatever it is they want to pursue, I think that is a very very true principle to live by not and not just as an individual but as a society so patriotism is an institution why do i say it's an institution because it's a feeling that isn't just occupied by one person or even just group people at one particular time at one particular place i think patriotism is something that you pass on it's something that you build upon It was patriotic, of course, at the time when uh, people during the the American Revolutionary War periods to fight back against the British, but we don't have to do that right now as of 2020, and I certainly hope we don't have to do so anytime soon, but the patriotic thing to do at the time period was to ensure that a monarchy was never to be established ever again, because at the time, and to this day, monarchies— are simply not fit for the American model. And I think to build upon this idea of an institution, I found in a a magazine article, a Metropolitan Magazine article uh, dated May 1918. Uh, This was something I found online on the University of Virginia's website, and it includes some writing from Teddy Roosevelt. Now, in 1918 at the time, Uh, We are in the midst of the the First World War. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt was president before. Uh, He is, of course, out of office at the time. Woodrow Wilson was president at the time. And he writes, Roosevelt writes here, patriotism means to stand by the country. It does not mean to stand by the president or any other public officials save exactly to the degree in which he himself stands by the country. Unquote. Towards the end of the article, he writes, quote, we hold that our loyalty is due solely to the American Republic, unquote. I think these two quotes show something very important here. Teddy Roosevelt is one of my favorite presidents and certainly is a favorite president among many people in the United States and around the world. But I think Roosevelt is absolutely right, because if patriotism was only about one person, if it was only about a group of people, how could it be possible that so many people feel the same way? How is it that people can build upon previous generations' successes and try to make the, this country better? How is it that possible that generations of Americans and generations of people from other countries who have built on the the failures, I will have to say, failures of previous generations, because Patriotism cannot just be all about the successes and all that, right? And, and when I say it shouldn't just be all about successes, of course we have to celebrate success, successes. But I think we also have to look at what it means to build upon previous generations. And that aspiration, that aspiration to move forward and to take this country forward and take future generations forward, that I think is a patriotic feeling as well. I think to disparage and to, uh, to desecrate and all that is not the way to express patriotic feelings. I think what's patriotic is when people aspire to do great things, to build upon what the generation has left them, but also to promise previous generations that just like them, they're going to take this country on their backs and they're going to make this country better than it was ever before so that the next generation and the generation after that, the generation after that one, and many, many more. We'll have that same feeling. We'll have that common feeling that we are in this together as one country. No one person is alone, and this is what makes this is what makes patriotism, I think, intangible. You know, we can't just pass it on, right? This is the second point I wrote down here, which is that patriotism is intangible. It is a spirit and not just an emotion. I think I I don't think it's the same kind of emotions and happy sad angry because those emotions fluctuate right like some days you might be happier some days might be a bit more tough or something so you have these different emotions but i think patriotism is is, patriotism is a lot broader than that i think it spans days weeks months years and of course centuries i think When you look back at the history of the United States of America, I think we have been a very patriotic country, certainly compared to many other ones, and for various different reasons, of course. Uh, Other countries, I think, do struggle with this idea of patriotism, not because they don't have anyone who supports the country or anything, but because, unfortunately, I think, as as I kind of touched upon just previously, uh, when patriotism is abused by... Some very, very you know, bad people, some very bad evils out there and be, and all of a sudden, patriotism is kind of eaten up by chauvinism or jingoism. That's when you have this particular sentiment of resentment and division, and we can't allow that. Patriotism has to always remain a great institution, an institution that is untainted by anyone of any generation at any time and at any place. And the fact that patriotism is intangible, it can't be touched, it can't be felt with your hands or with your eyes necessarily, the fact that it's a lifestyle, the fact that it's a feeling with someone, I think also has to make us reflect a little bit, which is that we cannot just impose loyalty. We have to inspire. We have to persuade in a way that people can connect with their country. It's not like patriotism is like, it's not like there's only one way to go about things. There's only one way for people to express their loyalty. Now, of course, I think there are some commonalities, right? We have a national anthem. We have the uh, the Pledge of Allegiance. Uh, we have, to have the oath of office for uh, future public officials and current public officials and, and past ones. But in terms of the actual feeling and the connection towards the country, I really feel like people have to be a bit creative with that. People need to figure out ways in which people can serve their communities and serve selflessly, not to do something and get something in return, necessarily. That, I think, is going to be something we have to work on uh, as a nation and for people from the nation-states all over the world. A good Mark Twain quote I found here says, quote, Modern patriotism, the true patriotism, the only rational patriotism, is loyalty to the nation all the time, loyalty to the government when it deserves it, unquote. That's a pretty good way of wrapping this these two points up, right? And, you know, in spite of the incredible work that so many people, countless people, many of those people whose names we might never remember— necessarily, but we remember their contributions. We remember their sacrifices. I'm talking about the military. I'm talking about entrepreneurs. I'm talking about voters. I'm talking about the the American people from the very beginning of this country to the present day. Countless people who have made these incredible sacrifices and who love their country. But unfortunately, we face incredibly difficult challenge that I think my generation and future generations will have to counter and ensure that patriotism doesn't collapse in the United States of America. Now, in spite of, I think, the patri- the great patri- patriotic manner that I think we hold ourselves to, there is one particularly disturbing trend I'm finding, uh, especially amongst the younger generation. I don't think it's the first time that we have dealt with this kind of what I call a patriotism deficit, where we have older generations being more patriotic than younger generations. I don't think it's the first time, but I do think that it's become a very worrying trend here. And this leads me to my third point in this episode, which is patriotism is under threat with future generations. It sounds like a very simple statement, but I think it is incredibly worrying. We're not just seeing people discontent with policies or discontent with public officials. We're talking about people, very sick-minded people, I think, very sick mindsets who are literally hating the United States of America and who are hating their respective countries, not just the United States. It also happens in the UK, it happens in France, it happens in other parts of the world, this is very, very concerning. And there's no question that this Jacobin kind of assault and threat to patriotism cannot be ignored. And it has to be dealt swiftly. It has to be dealt swiftly. But let's take a look at some numbers first. In July 2019, a Gallup poll showed that American pride and Patriotism is on the decline, not substantially, not precipitously, but still on the decline. 70% at the time said they were proud to be American, but only less than 45% are extremely proud. And it gets worse when you look at younger generations. For the 18 to 29 age group, only 24% we're extremely proud, compared to 63% for 65 and older. I mean, it's just horrible numbers here. And I'll make sure to include some links down in the show notes so that you can refer to them after the episode. I found some more information on a different site here. It's not Gallup, but it's from the Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation. They actually helped create a statue that's in Washington, D.C. to commemorate the victims of the atrocious and honestly evil ideology of communism. In their 2019 annual poll, they did a study and they showed an increased support for communism. Among millennials compared to 2018, 36% of millennials. Opinions of capitalism, I'm just reading here, quote, opinions of capitalism took a steep decline from 2018 to 2019 with only one in two among millennials ages 23 to 38 and Generation Z ages 16 to 22 having a favorable opinion of capitalism. In fact, about half of millennials and Generation Z view capitalism unfavorably. It, it just go, I think this goes to show that a lot of young people simply don't understand the history. They don't understand how evil these ideologies are, like communism. Yes, fascism is also an evil ideology, but we have to understand all evil. We can't just focus on what we think is fascist and what we think is anti-fascist, because you know who else was anti-fascist? The communists but that doesn't make them great people at all. I'm looking at some more numbers here. They actually have some pretty interesting takeaways here. I'll just read through a few of them for you. On socialism and communism, 15% of millennials think the world is better off with the Soviet Union. 43% of millennials do not believe the Declaration of Independence Better guarantees freedom and inequality over the Communist Manifesto. And I'm just a couple more here. 45% of Generation Z and millennials believe that, quote, all higher education should be free, unquote. In a country like the United States of America, where we are supposed to value meritocracy and equal opportunity, we have young people here who believe in very dangerous ideologies. Poor education is like fertilizer for ignorance. It's really astounding. Here's another one here. While 80% of Americans say they trust themselves over government and community to take care of their own interests, younger generations are about 25% less likely to say this. So there are people who really don't even believe in themselves. They need to rely on others to help them. That's not the American idea. You know, we have a society where we have a safety net for people, but a safety net is not a lifestyle. It's what happens when there are particular circumstances that happen to the population where the government and other parts of society need to get others, get people back on their feet. But it's not a way to rely on something and just to thrive on it at the expense of others. One more here, about one in five millennials, 22% believe that, quote, society would be better if all private property was abolished, unquote. I mean, if these kinds of numbers do not scare you, about the state of patriotism amongst our young generations. I don't know what does. But it's not just about the numbers here. Let's look at some stories that I've found, which also disturb me as well about the state of patriotism amongst young people. And nowhere is there this huge threat to patriotism than on our very own universities and colleges. The places where we believe that students would be able to open up their minds. Unfortunately, there's a lot of indoctrination going on at our university campuses. There's a lot of anti-Americanism going on. And there's just a lot of hate. It really is hateful when someone tries to cancel out somebody else just purely because of slightly different political views. Or when... A particular faculty member goes out against a particular race, that is not the United States of America. We are a fabric of different backgrounds under one beautiful name, beautiful country named the United States of America. And we are all part of this grand experiment that started around 250 years ago. And we've gone from just a group of colonies, to a country of 50 states, the biggest military in the world, the biggest economy in the world, and a country that has a great record of defeating some of the greatest evils of all time, including Hitler's Nazi Germany and the Soviet Union. And yet this anti-Americanism, you know, the microaggressions, the safe spaces, you know, anti-whites and all that, I mean, this is just ridiculous. This is Soviet-style, this is communist-style ideology that is permeating our education system. This has to stop here, but it still goes on. In August 2020, Washburn University, which is located in Topeka, Kansas, removed their Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin statues outside the law building. And according to the Local News, uh, WIBW 13, it says here that Watchburn President Dr. Jerry Farley told 13 News he wanted to get ahead of possible student and faculty disapproval of the two founding fathers who once owned, owned slaves. A quote here says, quote, they poured paint on it, they tried to break it apart, they had wrapped it up in some gaudy, terrible stuff and had written some things about it, and then we realized we've got one of them right here, and so do we want to do, he said. And he's talking about a recent event that happened at the University of Missouri where a Jefferson statue was targeted by vandals. Here's another one. This talks about the issue on college campuses with regards to Chinese intellectual property theft and research theft from our American innovators. This has been a very bipartisan issue, which I'm very pleased to see. But unfortunately, we still need to keep going. We still need to crack down on these academics who take advantage of the American system or are being paid or being controlled by the Chinese Communist Party government. Rory Truex, who is an assistant professor, teaches Chinese politics at Princeton University, recently told the Wall Street Journal that, quote, if we as a Chinese teaching community out of fear stop teaching things like Tiananmen or Xinjiang or whatever sensitive topic the Chinese government doesn't want us talking about, if we cave, then we've lost, unquote. I mean how anti American does this get when you have a professor teaching at an American university who cannot teach about the atrocities of communism and going off saying that they have lost i mean this is this is just another classic example of the issue that we have to deal with, and there's been multiple instances of the f b i and other law enforcement agencies doing their job to protect American innovators and protecting American scientists, American inventors, and students. Just recently, at my alma mater, a researcher from China was arrested after working at NASA and trying to steal secrets and information and giving it to the Chinese government. Really atrocious stuff here. And it's been going on for a while, and I really hope that we really crack down on these injustices that are occurring. And this is fundamentally un-American. It's fundamentally un-American to allow people from different countries and allowing them to steal our information. It's one thing to cooperate and collaborate with researchers and other brilliant minds across the world— It's another thing to be allowing this criminal activity occurring right on our soil. This is a story from Campus Reform, and it's talking about a university called Pacific University in Oregon, which hosted a weekly webinar series talking about something along the lines of racial diversity or something. And in one episode, get this, a guest claimed that, Every white person in the U.S. is racist because they benefit from the structure of racism. How absurd. How absurd. I mean, this has to be a big red flag, okay? People can say that, oh, it's only one professor. This is only the tip of the iceberg. There have been way too many instances of pure anti-American values of pure hatred going on in our college campuses. I mean, if I were to go through every single instance that I could find it on the internet, I could host a 24-7 show about this. And there are just way too many instances. We have to stop this. We have to stop this because we have a country to protect. We have countless years and countless instances of heroism and countless heroes, many of whom we might never know the names of. But we have so much to protect, and we also have so much to lose as well. If we allow these kinds of terrible instances of indoctrination and of anti-Americans of going on in our college campuses, if we allow this to occur— We are losing the essence and the value, the soul of this country. We need our college campuses and our universities back. We can't allow anti-Americans to take over. We just can't. We've got a long road ahead of us, but that's why we're here. That's why we love our country, and we are going to continue to fight for what is right. As long as that takes We don't care. We are going to continue to stand for the values enshrined in our founding documents, the values that our previous generations have left us, and I think we will prevail. So to close out here, I think the last point here is um, patriotism is one of America's greatest blessings. I think we are very blessed to have... A largely patriotic country. It's not all bad news. I mentioned earlier that about 70% of Americans view themselves as at least somewhat patriotic. Patriotism motivates us It motivates us to seek change. And that change needs to be positive. It needs to ensure that our founding documents are not just parchments. They are lifestyles. They make lives better For all Americans. And if we can extend those values across borders and become that beacon of light and liberty across the entire world, America's mission will be fulfilled. But it's not fulfilled in one instance, it's an ongoing mission, it's an ongoing part of America's nature. To do what is right, to make the world a more perfect place, but it starts with making itself, making the America a better place than it was before. If America doesn't wake up, the world cannot wake up. To sum up here, number one, patriotism is a lifestyle and prized institution. Patriotism is intangible. It is a spirit, and not just an emotion. Patriotism is under threat amongst future generations, amongst millennials, and generations years, and future generations after that. But patriotism is one of America's greatest blessings, and I know that together we will cherish it, we will love it, and we will protect it for years and years to come. Thank you so much for joining me today on this episode about the first principle out of the six of Washington's principles that I'm covering throughout this podcast. If you enjoy this episode, make sure that you subscribe and share this podcast with your friends and family. I look forward to talking with you at the next episode of Friends and Fellow Citizens. Have a great rest of your day and rest of your week. So long.